Hello and welcome to another deep dive episode on the Total Space Network. I'm Mikko and today we are talking about air launch. Joining me today is... I'm another space nut. Thanks for listening today, guys. But wait, there's more. There's also Rich LB because this is a Becoming Multiplanetary deep dive crossover episode. And not just Rich LB. Who's crashing with me? Why, it's Kage. Hello, folks, and thank you for joining. Not only today are we talking about air launch, but we are also talking about the second part of Space Tourism in the Near Future, Part 2, discussing Virgin Galactic. Rich, back to you. Thanks, Kage. So, getting started on our topic, Virgin Galactic, founded in 2004 by Richard Branson. So their maiden flight was supposed to be scheduled in 2009. However, for one reason or another, they never managed because the technology just wasn't there yet. It There was quite a few problems, especially in October of 2014, where what had happened, there was quite an unfortunate accident when as the spacecraft was re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, the pilot had deployed the air brake a little too early which caused the spacecraft to actually break up, and I think it was the co-pilot that survived. Unfortunately, the pilot never made it. No, the uh, other way around. Was it the other way around, was it? Yeah, the co-pilot disengaged the lock on the airfoil, and unfortunately it killed the co-pilot, Michael Alsbury, and seriously injured the pilot, Peter Siebold, who I think did survive. Yeah, he he did get seriously injured, but I believe he did survive, yes. So after this, you know, there was an investigation and it was found that the engineering team had tried to warn the marketing team over and over again that they were being pushed too quickly and things weren't being tested well enough. However, the crash itself was blamed on pilot error, and as such, the FAA basically gave Virgin Galactic instructions to make sure that from this point onwards, they had more safety checks in place on their technology, you know, prove the flight technology before it goes, and also to make sure that their pilots are thoroughly trained and did have audits to be able to make sure that the pilots were correctly trained before trying to fly these things. So anyway, moving on, their first suborbital spaceflight was achieved on the 13th of December 2018 with the VSS Unity VP-03. What they did is they have a very large plane called the White Knight 2 which is effectively two planes kind of glued together, and the VSS Unity sits in between on some kind of, like, latch mechanism. And the White Knight 2 flies up as high as it can and then deploys, similar to how Cosmic Girl does with Virgin Orbit and Launcher 1. Same idea, they they take a plane, they fly it high, and then they drop the, the rocket and the engines start up. So, same idea, except that instead of a cargo rocket, you have a passenger ship. Did anybody actually see this first suborbital spaceflight by Virgin Galactic back in 2018? No, I wasn't really following Virgin Galactic back then. Yeah, not many people were, because there was a lot of people when Virgin first broke out into the space industry. You know, people know Virgin to be like flights, trains, music. A lot of people don't seem to associate them with space, and as such, they weren't really, a lot of people weren't really watching them. So, speaking of these VSS unities, the spaceships, uh, I think they're called Spaceship 2s, Nico is here today with his deep dive to tell you all about air launches and how they exactly work. 
Yeah, that was the plan until you crashed the show. But first, uh, let's talk about what Air Launch is and why would you want to do it. So basically Air Launch means that a rocket or in Virgin Galactic's case a spaceship will get a ride over the thickest part of the atmosphere uh, to a place around where passenger airlines cruise, which would be around... 40,000 feet. So usually the rocket is trapped to a carrier airplane and the rocket will then be dropped so it can start its engines a safe distance away while carrier airplane usually turns away right after release. And from this point the rocket will basically act like a normal rocket and usually continue to orbit. And here we mostly talk about air launch to orbit. So, what would be the benefits and disadvantages of this? Do you have any idea? I would imagine launching higher up in the air, there's less of a atmospheric resistance to push through, which means you don't need as much fuel to burn. Yeah, but at the same time, you also have the difficult challenge of lifting the rocket up that high, so you need an exceptionally large aircraft that can carry such a heavy payload. Yeah, absolutely. And in Virgin Orbit's case, it would be a Boeing 747. But yeah, uh, when you skip the thickest part of the atmosphere, a rocket don't, won't be needing as much delta V to get into orbit. And, and th- there is definitely a problem with the airplane. You have to keep it running. The maintenance is not free. So you have to decide whether it's worth it to do it. I would imagine that the Virgin Group, having operated an airline as well, can write these costs off in a cross-company exercise. Yeah, for them, this is actually a pretty good idea. And other benefits would be you can choose more like a vacuum engine nozzle, so you don't have to use the sea launch engine nozzle, which would mean your exhaust gases will be over-expanded when you get into space. And probably one of the biggest benefits is you can launch from almost anywhere. This could be from the UK, which Virgin Orbit is actually thinking about. And even bigger, you can launch to any inclination you want. So until today, many of the launch providers haven't been able to launch to a zero degree inclination, which have been the job for air launch. A couple of interesting factoids. Did you know that when Cosmic Girl flies, she actually releases Launcher 1 at around the altitude of 35,000 feet? Now, initially I was worried that when you're using a plane to launch a rocket, you've got to remember planes can only operate so high. They have what's called a service ceiling, and if you pass this service ceiling, or get sometimes even just get near it, depending on the conditions of the atmosphere, you can stall the plane, and it'll just drop out of the sky. So, out of interest, I looked up what the service ceiling of a Boeing 747 is, and as it turns out, the service ceiling is 45,100 feet. So they actually launched 10,000 feet below the potential service ceiling of the Boeing 747. So if they could, if they wanted to, they really could go another 10,000 feet higher. That's higher than some rockets go, isn't it? We've seen a lot of sounding rockets from smaller companies, and a lot of those go much lower than that even. It's still a fairly good height, considering... And speaking of service ceilings, the White Knight 2, which launches the VSS Unity, actually has an even higher service ceiling still at 70,000 feet, or for our non-Imperial unit-inclined listeners, 21,000 meters. 
Yeah, absolutely. And for 70,000 feet, you really need a different airplane. All right, so there's definitely some difficulty starting the engine while you are moving. So the rocket is already moving. You have to get fuel in right place and air engine really needs to start because otherwise the rocket is just going to drop to an ocean. And Elon does say it's not worth it because the performance save is about 5% and he would rather make the first stage 5% bigger. I guess it's about working with what you've got really, isn't it? Because with Virgin, they've got all these planes, so why not work with them? Because it lowers the cost for them. So it's one of these that it works for them, but perhaps for SpaceX, SpaceX are on their right path. You know, each, each company has their own right path for this sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So does any one of you know how many air launch vehicles have actually reached orbit? Orbit? Uh, one, isn't it? Launcher one. Two. There's the Northrop Grumman Pegasus rocket. Ah, yes, I forgot about that one. My bad. Yeah, so that was the first one to reach orbit, and even before that, there was a test program called NOTS EV-1 pilot. They had about six tries to get into orbit, but the rockets were exploding, so that was a no-go. But the Pegasus rocket first flew in 1990, and it still remains active, but Currently, there are no new missions on the flight plans. And Pegasus does have a bit higher payload capability than Virgin Orbit. Pegasus can launch about 440 kilograms to low Earth orbit as compared to Virgin Orbit. They have around 300 kilograms. And is Pegasus reusable or no? Well, the airplane is reusable, but no. And neither is Virgin Orbit's launcher one. So Pegasus was actually developed by Orbital Sciences, which today is Northrop Grumman. And Pegasus has actually flown 44 times, and three of those ended up in failure. And actually their first flight was a success, but Virgin Orbit's first flight was not. So they did something better. So Pegasus has three solid-fueled engines compared to Virgin Orbit's Launcher 1, which is the world's first liquid-fueled air launch vehicle. But Pegasus's first operational launch was on April 5th, 1990, with NASA test pilot and former astronaut Gordon Fullerton in command of the carrier aircraft. Initially, a NASA-owned B-52 Stratofortress served as the carrier aircraft. By 1994, Orbital had transitioned to their Stargazer L-1011, a converted airliner which was formerly owned by Air Canada. The name Stargazer is an homage to the television series Star Trek The Next Generation. The character Jean-Luc Picard was captain of a ship named Stargazer prior to the events of the series and his first officer, William Riker, once served aboard a ship named Pegasus. Also of note, the second officer of Stargazer was Wesley Crusher's father and Beverly Crusher's husband. Unfortunately, he died on the Stargazer. I can't remember exactly how he died, but yeah, that's, that's what happened. And his name was Jack Crusher. Thanks. Up until the past couple of years, Pegasus was only option for US to launch to a zero-degree orbital inclinations. But since SpaceX won a contract from NASA, beating the Pegasus launch price, I don't expect a bright future for this vehicle with a $40 million price tag. 
SpaceX Falcon 9 has the capability to send small payloads to this orbit, even though it requires orbital changes which are very performance intensive. So what does that actually look like? Almost looks like the Launcher 1, but it actually does have fins to control its ascent. No, I mean the SpaceX launch to a zero-degree orbital inclination. How does it actually do that? Right, so when SpaceX's upper stage reaches an orbit, which would be, let's say, 23 degrees from the KSE, then when the spacecraft is around zero degrees orbital inclination, so that would be around the equator, SpaceX will make a burn, so the inclination will change, and that will take quite a lot of fuel. So kind of like a dogleg maneuver, but in orbit. Yeah, kind of. If you ever have played KSP, this is something you do often in there. Pegasus's competition, Virgin Orbit, they just joined the chat with their Launcher 1 rocket. And as I previously mentioned, it's a two-stage orbital launch vehicle, and it's fueled by RP-1 and LOX. And it was developed and flown by Virgin Orbit that began operational flights this year, just last week. And the first flight, which happened on 17 January, was a huge success, and it delivered a payload of 10 CubeSats to low Earth orbit, and Launcher 1 was the first all-liquid-fueled air launch orbital rocket. The previous test flight in May last year was unsuccessful. After a few seconds, the engine just shut down. And that was because of a break in a propellant feed line. And what kind of risk does this pose, considering they are so close to commercial tourism? Does it have a high degree of confidence? Can they fix the issues that they're experiencing? Eventually, they'll be flying commercial tourist passengers, right? Well, these are separate companies that we're talking about here because Virgin Orbit and Virgin Galactic have two separate missions, where Virgin Orbit is looking to launch payloads, whereas Virgin Galactic is looking to launch people. Yeah, absolutely. But still, the the reliability will have to be high up in there with both launch vehicles, because if you can't get a rocket to orbit, you can't get payloads on board the rocket, and... With Virgin Galactic's space plane, well, it's about people. You have to be safe with them. And still speaking of Virgin Orbit, they are actually trying to make a three-stage variant of the Launcher 1 rocket that could actually launch 100 kilograms to the Moon, 70 kilograms to Venus, or 50 kilograms to Mars. And I do expect Virgin to have one big advantage over Rocket Lab, who is their biggest competitor with smaller prices. And that's the launch inclination, as they can launch to any inclination anywhere in the world. That is a very good point. That ability to launch anywhere in the world is something that we currently see issues with, because not very many companies have that ability at present, do they? Like another Starlink, uh, they're initially operating a uh, central northern latitude because of the launch orbit opportunities they have. So that ability to be able to take it anywhere in the sky and launch it at an optimal point makes complete sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does mean that you don't have to have launch facilities. So how long would it be before Virgin are flying commercial tourists? Because I think there's a bit of a race at present for commercial tourism, isn't there, between uh, Virgin and Blue Origin? 
Well, actually, back in November 2020, the recently new Virgin Galactic CEO, Michael Colglazier, said flights will happen somewhere between January and March 2021. So perhaps in the next coming weeks of early this year. And also back in 2020, in November 2020, astronaut readiness training programs had already started, led by Chief Astronaut Instructor Beth Moses and Chief Pilot Dave McKay. So already they have at least over 700 people that have paid 250000 US dollars to fly aboard Spaceship Two for its 90-minute flight. And they already have over 700 people that have paid 250,000 US dollars to fly aboard their Spaceship 2 class VSS Unity for its 90-minute flight. And just as a reminder, the VSS Unity can carry only six passengers at a time, plus two crew, which means that they already have over 117 flights booked. So I think they're ready to go. Yeah, expanding on that, actually, there's a news article on spacenews.com that I'm referencing for this. And Virgin Galactic are saying that they are planning to run a final series of test flights of its Spaceship 2 suborbital vehicle, as the company has announced it intends to move into commercial operations in 2021. So it looks like Q1 isn't going to be for the actual flights itself. They're going to do some few test flights first. You're probably looking at Q2 to Q3 before they're going to start flying the people who are waiting. I mean, you've got to think about COVID regulations as well. You know, you've got to be very selective in who you're flying, I think, for the foreseeable future at least. Not only that, but you probably wouldn't be able to fly at full capacity either for the simple reason you have to maintain social distancing. So then naturally that price of launching the same hardware versus less income starts to become less viable for them shortly. So I couldn't see flights myself before maybe Q3, Q4 when vaccination programs seem to be targeted at their end of rollout schemes. Yeah, I, th- I think what you're going to see in terms of tying this tourism, space tourism into COVID-19 is I would assume, or I would hope, that Virgin Galactic would require a negative test result prior to entry on the flight. Like most airports do nowadays, you are required to produce a negative test result. I don't know how recent it can be, and I also figure that if you've had the vaccine, they're more likely to let you on. Because if if all these things are in place, and everybody who's on that flight is proven negative or vaccinated, then I don't see them needing to maintain the social distancing. Honestly, with the astronaut readiness program that they're doing, I would see them even going as far as what NASA does, where they put their passengers that are ready to fly into a 14-day quarantine program, maybe have them stay in some sort of quarantine space so that if they do have the virus and they're asymptomatic, it has enough time to come out of their system. And of course, that would show up in a test, I would hope. And if they don't have the virus, then that gives them enough time to go through a full quarantine cycle. So that way they could, in fact, fly full capacity just so long as everyone meets a very strict hygiene standard of uh, proper quarantine, uh, testing, uh, maybe even requirements of vaccinations and so forth. And bear in mind, we're talking about passengers that are paying 250000 US dollars uh, just for a, a single flight on this. So having also these extra requirements, uh, they're going through this uh, astronaut readiness program. I could fully see that as just another step that they need to go through in order to actually put their butts in those seats. 
I would imagine the staff responsible for organizing these flights over at Virgin Galactic would probably work alongside... Well, I mean, if they're based in America, they're probably going to be working alongside HHS, which is the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They'll probably get a few people liaising there to be able to find a way in which they can do this. But I would imagine, Kage, that you're probably right in that they would adopt the NASA approach currently. That seems to be the tried-and-true method. The Spaceship 2s and the White Knight 2s are developed by a separate company, which was founded by Richard Branson and scaled composites Bert Rutan and they called it the Spaceship Company. The initial contract from this company was to build Virgin Galactic five Spaceship 2s and two White Knight 2s. I'm not entirely sure where they are along with this at the moment. I know they haven't filled that order, I don't think, yet. I believe there are two Spaceship 2s, or the second one is being built, and there's a White Knight 2. I'm not sure if there's a second one yet of the White Knight 2s, because they're quite big. Arbar Investments Group which is a sovereign wealth fund from the United Arab Emirates, actually own a 37.8% equity share in Virgin Galactic. They paid quite a bit of money for this amount of equity, and in return, what this gives them is exclusive regional rights to launch tourism and scientific research space flights from the United Arab Emirates. So if you're a tourist in the UAE, even though it'd be Virgin Galactic you're flying with, it would probably be rebranded to some kind of uh, UAE holding company, which would be facilitating those flights. And that's due to the sheer amount of equity share they have within that company. Virgin Galactic, back in January of 2015, were also contracted by OneWeb to deliver a few of their satellites. I'm not sure exactly how many satellites they did deliver, they were supposed to be using their Launcher 1 system. Now, obviously, that's only been able to get into orbit very recently, so I'm not sure how that's worked out, whether they have ended up launching for OneWeb, but they did get contracted to. So you might see uh, Virgin Galactic kind of nick Cosmic Girl for a while to deliver these OneWeb sats if they haven't done so yet. Have you guys ever heard of a company called Under Armour? Yes, the ones who made the spacesuits for... Aye, but do you know what Under Armour are well known for making originally? Sports clothing. And since we're on random factoids, since we sometimes like to do random Elon facts, here's a random, well, kind of a random Richard Branson fact. Sir Richard Branson, sorry. When people look at Elon Musk and like, oh wow, he's CEO of so many companies. Uh, have you looked at the Virgin Empire? So there's uh, the Virgin Group, as it's known. It's more than just Virgin Airlines and Virgin Mobile and Virgin Galactic and Virgin Orbit. There's actually more than 200 businesses that Sir Richard Branson is part of in music, entertainment, clothing, cosmetics, financial services, nightclubs, train services, tour operations, health clubs, publishing, film industry, mobile phones, and apparently even condoms. Who knew? <laughs> I remember growing up in the 90s in England, Virgin was a competitor for HMV. It was like, you're either going to HMV or Virgin if you're going to pick new albums and the like. And let's also not forget that the Spaceship Company, a joint owns it with Burt Rutan from Scaled Composites. And that isn't even a Virgin company. That's, you know, that's just another company that was made specifically for the production of White Knight 2s and Spaceship 2s. But isn't it part of the Virgin Group as a, maybe not a subsidiary, but some sort of shared equity entity of some form? 
So it was jointly owned by Virgin Group and Scaled Composites up until 2012 when Virgin Galactic became the sole owner. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's the answer to your question. Just another one of the over 200 companies under the Virgin Group umbrella. And being as that this is an episode about space tourism as well, we cannot finish the episode without talking about Spaceport America. Now, this thing is effectively one of the world's first spaceports. It lies 89 miles north of El Paso, 45 miles north of Las Cruces, and 20 miles southeast of Truth or Consequences. The thing is, it is a flawless building. We've seen SpaceX launching out of Pad 39A that's been refitted to accommodate the Falcon after the shuttle and after Apollo and stuff. It's quite crucial to think about how the future of spaceports looks because although at present it's a standalone example, as companies think about interplanetary rocket travel, these are going to become more commonplace in more countries. And another thing about Spaceport America over in New Mexico as well is whilst Virgin Galactic is what's known as the anchor tenant, like they're the main tenant of the spaceport, we actually have a few others. You've got UP Aerospace and Exos Aerospace as well. These, these two space companies are also operating in the spaceport. Exos Aerospace launched their Sarge rocket out of the same facility. They're currently doing suborbital flights with their Sarge class rockets. Uh, they're hoping to go orbital within the next couple of years, and they use the Spaceport America as well. Yeah, those Sarge live streams have been quite interesting. For example, the CEO of Exos Aerospace is sometimes sitting on the rocket. Yeah, he sort of almost rides the rocket to the launch mount, doesn't he? And it's, it's unusual to see. We, see. we see such clean operations from these bigger launch providers where the rockets are kept in a sterile environment. And then you watch a, la- a launch of the Sarge Suborbital, and it's just like three guys all ride it on the back of a ATV, attach it to a pole, climb up a ladder quickly, install the jacks, and then all clear out the area to launch it. It's, you know, like if everybody that's on the ground even gets a selfie in front of it and stood at the side of it and stuff it's absolutely incredible to see these smaller startup private companies heading towards space i mean if you worked for a rocket company wouldn't you do the same i know i would and true story the sarge is an alcohol powered rocket it is well partially it's fueled on a combination of lox liquid oxygen for your oxidizer and also ethanol ethanol's alcohol right it is indeed. Well, more or less, yeah. I wouldn't advise drinking straight ethanol if I were you. I mean, I definitely do not drink straight ethanol. If you get the opportunity, ethanol's bad for you. Internals, just don't chance it. But yeah, in, in essence, ethanol is a form of alcohol. It's just really toxic. But it's interesting to see an alcohol-powered rocket at least. Maybe that's why they end up riding the rockets uh, to the pad, because they uh, had a little uh, drink or two. <laughs> By the way, ethanol is, is indeed alcohol. Methanol is the toxic one. Sorry, we were doing factoids earlier. I thought it might be fitting. So they're just drinking straight Everclear before they pour it into the rocket. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Coming back to Spaceport America, in August 2019, visitors were able to book tours from either the Visit Las Cruces Visitor Center or the Visitor Center in Tooth of Consequences, you can actually book tours of Spaceport America. 
I don't know what the status of that is now with COVID-19 in place. I would imagine they would open up again fairly soon considering the vaccination programs rolling out. But would would you guys like would you guys go if book a tour for the Spaceport America because I know I'd love to go. I think a lot of photographers might find themselves taking that tour at optimal opportunities for good launch pictures. I think I'd rather book a flight on a suborbital or maybe even an orbital rocket instead. But I mean, you know, barring that, sure, I'd I'd go for a tour. Yeah, I would take the tour because I don't have money for the suborbital rocket trip. So that's been an enlightening and very interesting discussion about not only air launch service providers, but also about where Virgin Galactic currently stands, or rather flies, and where they might be in the very near-term future. So here's a question for you listeners. Let us know in the comments on our YouTube video that accompanies this recording as well. What would you do? Would you take a flight on Virgin Galactic or would you choose another launch provider? Which, by the way, in our next episode, we will be talking about SpaceX as a launch provider also bringing people into the space tourism market. So with that, hey, Rich, why don't you tell us about our patrons? Absolutely. So here comes the part where I list out every Patreon because all of us here at Total Space absolutely love your support. We are really humbled by it. So without further ado, here are all of our Patreons. We have Warhawk, we have Adrian Moiser, we have The Angry Astronaut, we have Howard Walker, we have Sammy Oscuro, also known as Stinger NSW. We have What About It? Jishwan and Sebastian from To The Future, Gio Pagliari, Framrick, Susie R, and Marco. Thank you all for your continued support. You help us just make our show even better, uh, as evidenced by the recent website launch. Speaking of which, you can catch all of our episodes at our new website, which is totalspace.net. Miko, why don't you tell them what's up with the next deep dive? Yeah. I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays, and the next episode will be about sea launch. And I just got a confirmation from Felix from What About It that he will be joining us too. I've been another Space Nut. Remember to check us out on Twitter, guys, at Total Space Net. And with that, I have been Kage, and thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this episode. If you like what you're hearing and would like to support us, please also check us out on Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash total space, and we'll catch you next time.